This morning's reading is taken from Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Good, thank you to everyone who has contributed into our worship so far this morning. It feels a little bit quieter, doesn't it, today? But there are some 30 or more ladies who are at uh, CMC Adventure this weekend, a location that many of you will be familiar with. If you've been on ladies' weekends, men's weekends, or boys' and girls' brigade weekends that have all used it across on the west coast of Wales, delightful setting, and uh, I'm sure that they are having an excellent time. They're meeting just as uh, we meet now, so they are gathering together for their worship this morning, and then I think uh, fairly soon now they'll be heading off down to the beach for a bit of sea air before lunch. Isn't it beautiful living by the coast? I grew up by the coast. And whenever I talk about it, it kind of thinks, yeah, it's lovely. Uh, but there we are. We're right in the centre of uh, the heart of England here and as far away as you can get from any sea. So it's always nice when that opportunity is there. But we trust and pray also for the ladies who've been away that they have a time of spiritual refreshment and blessing. And I'm sure that's the case. It's bank holiday weekend as well, so others will be away for other reasons. But as we come... And as we worship this morning, what I would like to focus upon, especially in this talk this morning, is the importance of vision. And to use these words in Acts chapter 1 as our focus. And to ask the question, what next? What next? It's a very topical question, of course, 
for our country, the delay of Brexit, the changes in many local councils after the elections this week, the uncertainty of the future. A lot of people around us are asking this question, what next? There is a sense in which maybe we've lost a bit of direction. As a country, we've perhaps lost our identity. And you may feel a little bit confused, a little bit perplexed, unclear, or bewildered. Which direction do we go? What next? These emotions are very real at the present time. I think there are some people who live, as it were, a little bit in a bubble and not hugely connected with the wider uh, issues of society and of our country. Others are very connected, very much aware, and very conscious of these things. But a time of challenge is also equally a time of opportunity. And as we heard from Ian Deville last week, there's a huge opportunity for the wider Christian church to bring to the forefront the very clear sense of identity and purpose which is central to the Christian faith. And along with that opportunity, and along with being alert to the national scene, we need to pray. We're planning a time to focus our prayers, especially on the country and on the nation in the near future. And when we firmed up the details, we'll talk to you about that. What next is a very topical question for the country. But what next is also a very topical question for our church. Some of you will know that the deacons have been working very much in recent times on the vision statement that we already have for Shirley Baptist Church. How to sharpen it. How to bring into our thinking a very clear sense of direction and challenge. At the same time, the Youth Forum earlier, earlier this week was looking at a youth strategy in a similar kind of way. A document that already existed, but how to make it alive, clear, fresh. We're very much in that place of sharpening our vision and answering the question, what next? And there'll be more about that in the coming weeks and months. Indeed, very much more in the rest of this year, particularly on Sunday mornings. But what next was also a very topical question for the disciples at the time of our reading. Acts chapter 1 opens up part 2 of Luke's account of the life of Jesus. It's very interesting that for Luke, the writer, the Gospel of Luke was only the first part of his account of the life of Jesus. Most of you will know that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Luke is one of those. And each of those record in their own ways episodes of the life of Jesus, starting either from uh, his incarnation and the Christmas story, or from that time when he began to minister in public and finishing with his death and resurrection and sometimes touching on the ascension. Those are the gospel stories. But for Luke, that was part one of the life of Jesus. And the book of Acts, which is written by Luke, is part two. And what is recorded in Luke's gospel is that opening phase where Jesus was here in physical form. And what is recorded in part two in the book of Acts is the life of the church. And for Luke, that was very much a continuation of the life of Jesus. 
Jesus was as central to Acts as he was to the Gospel of Luke. And after part one, the key question for the disciples was, what next? And they had been on such a roller coaster of emotions. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, they were at the centre of the activity. They watched him work all kinds of miracles to speak to many different people. They saw the wonderful way in which Jesus lived and taught and dealt with so many situations. And they were right at the centre of that activity. And then during the last week of Jesus' life, they were at the centre of the controversy. And they felt the pressure that was building up against Jesus. And then as it came to the Easter story itself, either watching the crucifixion at a distance or maybe not even able to watch, in utter despair. And then on Easter Sunday, gradually moving from doubt to faith. Initially puzzled by the empty tomb, but then realizing that Jesus is alive and the difference that, that makes. And then in the growing days, an increasing certainty about Jesus being alive but also the opportunity to hear from Jesus again as he talked to them about the kingdom of God. I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall in those conversations. They're not actually recorded anywhere in the Bible. But we are told in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 that Jesus appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It's quite evident that there were a number of different occasions when Jesus met with them and talked to them. And then at the time of this reading in Jerusalem, sometime between the resurrection and the ascension, they were really wondering what was coming next. And they asked Jesus a question. They said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a fascinating question. It was Calvin who once said about it that there are as many errors in that question as there are in the words. As there are words in the question. As many errors as there are words. Everything about it was distorted. The idea of restoring the kingdom suggested something physical and territorial. Like it was in the time of King David. But that's not what Jesus was about. The reference to Israel suggested something national, a recovery of a nation as it was previously known. That's not what Jesus was about. The phrase at this time suggests something that was going to happen immediately. That's not what Jesus was about. It was a fascinating question. It was, a, a, in many ways, an erroneous question. But it drew from Jesus the most fascinating answer you could ever imagine. And it is this answer that I would like to focus on just for a few moments this morning. Because I believe it speaks to us powerfully as we consider what is next. What is next in your life today? What is next in the life of our church? What is next in the life of our nation? What is coming in the remaining part of 2019, 2020, and however many years God gives to us. What is next? The disciples were at that transition moment wondering what was coming next. And as they asked this particular question, Jesus responded. 
And his response is remarkable. And the first thing about this response is that Jesus said to them, some things about the future remain unknown. He answered them, it is not for you to know. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. There was an expectation among the disciples that Jesus might soon bring in the final kingdom of God's rule along the lines of Old Testament expectations of a Messiah who was a great deliverer. Even now, they hadn't fully grasped what the cross and the resurrection really understood. Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God. We don't know what he'd said in those conversations. But clearly they were expecting something to happen very soon. They were expecting something physical and territorial rather than spiritual. They were expecting something limited to a particular group of people rather than something international. They were expecting something to happen in a particular moment rather than a continual movement of the Spirit of God across the world. But the phrase that struck me especially this week as I was preparing for this was when Jesus said, it is not for you to know. It is not for you to know. And I believe that God says that to us as well. And that for some of us, this is the word that we actually need to hear this morning. That it is not for you to know. Some things about the future remain unknown. For the disciples, they were not to know the times or dates which God the Father had set by his own authority. And we are not necessarily to know the times or the details of what God has already planned for us. What will life be like for you in five years' time, in ten years' time? Wouldn't you like to know? And yet the truth is that our lives are full of unexpected twists and turns and unanswered questions. Who would have thought that five years ago our country would have been through this process of making a decision about Europe and then engaging in this endless attempts to work out what that means and how to deal with it? Who would have anticipated that five years ago or ten years ago? And looking into the future there are some things we do not know about what is coming. And God says to us, it is not for you to know. Satnav will tell us how long it takes to reach a particular destination. Google Maps will tell us what the traffic delays are like and adjust our route to miss the worst of the jams. These days it is possible to track the progress of aircraft, of trains, even of those running in the London Marathon on your phones, as we ourselves as a family experienced last weekend. This is a modern, sophisticated world. We have access to a wealth of information. And through that kind of technology, we can almost know everything that's going on anywhere at any one time. And then God comes to us and says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has placed by his own authority. You don't know. I don't know. The next moment that God will give to us to talk about Jesus. You or I don't know when your next moment of ill health might strike. 
You or I don't know what unexpected family challenges will affect you deeply in the weeks and months ahead. You or I don't know what job opportunity will suddenly open up to you. God actually says, it is not for you to know. He has the final word. He is the one who sees the beginning from the end. We only see, to use the Apostle Paul's image in 1 Corinthians 13, we only see a dim image in a mirror. Just a glimpse. God sees it all. The disciples were not presented with an action plan for the next five years. They had no idea what Pentecost would look like. They had no idea where they would be scattered to. They had no idea who would come to believe in Jesus or what difficulties they might encounter along the way in their missionary travels. In answer to the way in which they were thinking, Jesus had to say, it is not for you to know. And I actually believe we need to hear that this morning and understand that life is in God's hands and not ours. And whatever we might piece together by way of shaping, planning, strategic thinking, all of which is important, both personally and as a church and as a nation. But ultimately, there are some things where it is not for you to know. Some things about the future remain unknown. But conversely, and isn't this exciting, that some things about the future are very clear. Because Jesus said to the disciples, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These are the things about the future which are very clear. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. A literal Pentecost was about to happen for those first disciples. Now for them, that was not the first encounter of the Holy Spirit. They already knew the Spirit. They'd already seen the Spirit at work. John's Gospel speaks very much of the Spirit being present in and through the life of Jesus and extending to the disciples. But there was to come a unique moment which was to launch them into their future ministry and was to inaugurate, if you like, part two of the life of Jesus as he continued to work through the church. And that was the day of Pentecost. And they were promised amazing power. The word power in Greek is the word dunamis, from which we get dynamite. So we're talking big power. Jesus was not giving them a five-year plan, but he was giving them a five-star resource, the power of of the Holy Spirit. And we don't need to wait for Pentecost Sunday. By the way, in the Christian calendar, Pentecost is seven weeks after Easter, so this year it falls on June the 12th. But you don't have to wait till June the 12th for the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit has been given to God's people for all time and all places. And every day is a Pentecost Sunday. So the Spirit is no less present now than at any other time. Today, you and I have all the power that we need for whatever the future unfolds. Isn't that incredible? David was talking to us earlier about the significance of Jesus taking away our sins, making us clean. Why does he do that? So that you can sit back and do nothing? Not at all. 
so that you can be filled with the power and strength of God's Holy Spirit to live a Jesus-shaped life and to serve the people who are around you. Power to live as Jesus would want you to live. Power to overcome the temptations of the evil one. Power to bring the good news of Jesus to dark places. Power to hold on to Christ, no matter what might be going on around you or inside you. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for all who believe. And it is God's gift of power. Sometimes manifest in clear and dramatic ways. Sometimes the evidence of that power is more in the consistent and faithful Christ-like behavior of God's people today. But it is God's dynamite. And it's for you. And it's for now. Some things about the future remain unknown. But this is something that is sure. Whatever you do, wherever you go, whoever you are, as you trust in Jesus today, God promises you the power of his Holy Spirit. Something that wells up inside and flows out. Something that cannot be seen, cannot be touched, but is deeply, deeply real. God's dynamite, his gift to you. And as well as receiving power, Jesus told the disciples, you will be witnesses to me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. There's a lot of comment about what these places might refer to, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and so on. Many commentaries suggest that it's kind of a foretaste of the whole book of Acts because the stories of Acts chapters 1 to 7 were focused around Jerusalem and chapter 8 talks about the regions of Judea and about the disciples being scattered through Samaria and chapters 9 onwards takes us beyond those regions into the wider mission travels of the Apostle Paul in particular and his final journey to Rome. But I think that as we apply these words today, it's important not just to think of them in a geographical sense, but also in a cultural sense. You will be witnesses to me, beginning in the most familiar places, near to where you are, and then moving into different places, and then moving again into different places. God is calling us to be witnesses to Jesus, beginning with those whom we know very well, moving to those who are less familiar with the gospel, moving on to those who we might least expect to respond to Jesus Christ. And ultimately, the book of Revelation makes it clear that the final kingdom will be drawn from every tribe, every nation, every people, and every language. Now here this morning, in our congregation today, we have baby boomers, we have Gen Xers, we have Gen Ys or millennials, and increasingly we have those of Gen Z. Now that's not just a fancy way of describing different age groups. 
And you might want to just work out who you are. This is a serious recognition of the different cultural frameworks and worldviews that are often experienced among the different generations. One of the beauties of church life is that we're called to be an intergenerational church so that we connect across generations. But that's not just about connecting across ages. It's connecting across cultures, connecting across whatever it is that might make one person different from another person. And we're called to be witnesses of Jesus to every cultural tribe, every people group, every language group, every social network. And you look across the church and you think, well, there's perhaps an overcrowding of one particular age group or one particular social group, one particular people group. And God is calling us to be witnesses to Jesus, extending out beyond that Jerusalem to the Judeas and Samarias and other regions who may not be geographically very far from us at all, but who need to be befriended, welcomed and loved. You will be witnesses to me. That's what Jesus made it very clear about the future. Yes, there are some things that remain unknown. But you will receive power and you will be witnesses to me. So vision is important. The word vision can, of course, simply be an alternative for sight. What you get checked up when you go to the opticians. But the word vision also means anticipating what may come about in the future. Grasping what that might be. Stepping forward to accomplish what Jesus desires. And for spiritual vision, we need a clear understanding of who God is, and we need the capacity to try and see the ways that God is working and discover how you and I can be part of his kingdom work today. In that process of sharpening our vision, some things will remain unknown. And you and I need to accept that God has the final word in all matters concerning the present and the future. And we put our trust in him and our confidence entirely upon him. But some things are very clear. That we have the power of the Holy Spirit. So you need to open your life. You need to open your heart. You need to just be open for God's power to pervade into every part of your being and just overwhelm you in such a way that you live constantly for Jesus. And we're called to be witnesses to all different groups of people, to look outwards, see those with whom you can develop friendship and show Christ-like love and engage in conversation and bring something of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here at Shirley Baptist Church, we have our strap line, passion for God, compassion for people. And we now also have some key words that we're going to talk about a little bit more in the coming weeks. Welcome, love, challenge, and grow. 
And I encourage you to look forward with expectancy. Because this is a hugely significant time when God's kingdom is growing and he's inviting us to be a part of it. What next? Well, the next is in God's hands. But what I've said this morning just lays the foundation as we look confidently to the future.